You know, they used to say about me that I had Baptist hair. I said, what does that mean? They said, once combed, always combed. Are there any Baptists in the room? All right, you can testify. Baptist hair. Pastor Stan. Y'all have seen Scott. Pray for Scott. You know, for this Father's Day, I'm giving Scott some of that new shampoo. I bought him some. It costs 60 bucks. It's supposed to grow your hair. It's shampoo. Does anybody believe it will? Yeah, I don't either. But he needed it. You could tell. He was eaten up with envy. Now, the sermon series that we're going into, we're calling Fixer Upper. And, of course, when you think of Fixer Upper, what do you think of? You think of that famous couple uh, who've risen to fame because we've been amazed at what they can do with a little shoddy house or one that uh, really needs some help. And, and uh, it's Joanna and Chip, right? Gaines, right? And, and they, they, they have this farm called Magnolia Farm in Waco, Texas. And they're, they're famous now. They've, they've got all these different products they're selling. And I mean, it's just amazing the way they've risen to fame because we're so fascinated with a fixer-upper. And what we want to focus on during this sermon series is, is how our lives are fixer-uppers, right? And it's not Joanna and Chip who work on us. It's the Holy Spirit who works on us. And it's the Holy Spirit whom we want to bring about a, a better, more Christ-like life in us. And today we're looking at envy and how the Holy Spirit wants to fix us up and, and, and to bring about a, a heart of gratitude in, instead of a heart of of envy. Now today we're going to be looking at the 20th chapter of Matthew. And we could go right into this, um, this parable of Jesus, of the laborers in the vineyard. But if we did so, we'd be missing a very key point. And that was the circumstance that gave rise to the parable. In the 19th chapter, at the end of the 19th chapter, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has been teaching there have been crowds all around him. And there's this young man, we call him the rich young ruler, who comes to Jesus. And he comes to Jesus, no doubt envious about what Jesus has that he doesn't have. Envious about what the disciples of Jesus have that he doesn't have. He comes wanting what they have. And he says, Lord, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. And he said, well, I've done that all my life. I'm a good Jewish boy. I've kept the commandments. I've kept the dietary laws. I'm circumcised. You want to see? No, not really. And <laughs> I don't know why I did that. <laughs> anyway, he proved the point. And Jesus said to him, Jesus said to him, y'all going to have to come back to me now. <laughs> it's my fault, but you got to come back to me. Jesus said to him, well, one thing you lack, you sell all that you have and you give it to the poor and you come and follow me. And the young man went away sad. And Jesus said to the disciples, everyone in earshot, Jesus said, it will be hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You think the disciples heard that as good news? 
You see, the disciples think like we think. They thought, well, if somebody's rich and prosperous, then they must be blessed by God. They must have done some good things if they're in that good standing. And, and, and those of us who are poor, well, we may not have that blessing. And I wonder what we've done to not be blessed by God. That's the kind of mentality that we human beings sometimes fall into. The ones that have must be blessed. The ones that don't must not be blessed. And, and so they were thinking, well, if that rich man is, is going to have a hard time getting into the kingdom of God, where does that leave us? And so Jesus had it all teed up. He said, I've got a parable to tell you. Those of you who think you earn this gift of grace, I've got a parable to tell you. Those of you who think that the rich are blessed and the poor are cursed, I've got a parable to tell you. Those of you who think that, that, that those who have deserved uh, uh, God's goodness because of the way you've lived your life, I've got a parable to tell you. And so in the 20th chapter... Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into the vineyard. And when he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard. I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and then about three o'clock, he did the same. And then about five o'clock, he went out and he found others standing around and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the manager, you call the laborers and you give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. And when those who were hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, guess what? They grumbled against the landowner saying, These last worked only one hour and you have given them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because of my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. I've thought about this parable all week. Because you know what? It's sweet noonday onion harvest time in East Texas. And I have a farm. I'm the owner of the farm. But I have to have a manager to manage the farm. To take care 
of the harvesting of the onions. And you have to pull the onions out of the ground. You have to cut the tops off. You have to cut the roots off. You have to grade them in different sizes. You put them in boxes. You take them to the market, right? I think we may have a picture or two just to get you in the mood. And there are some of my laborers. There's one of our own Lover's Lane uh, youth who was laboring in the field. Now, I really understand the dilemma of the owner and the manager who goes to town to seek out the laborers. Because sometimes you start the day with a group of laborers and, and then you, you've, you've talked to some who say, well, I can't be there till I've got something to do until, until noon. Can I come after lunch? You say, yeah, come on, we've got plenty of onions. And, and then you, you have some people who say, well, I have a job and I'm going to be working until 4 o'clock or I'm going to be working until 5 o'clock. Can I come after I get off of my job, make a little extra money? You say, yeah, come on. So you have these people who are coming into the onion patch and they're coming at different hours of the day. And that's okay because you've got crop to harvest and you need the workers. But I'll tell you what I don't tell my manager. I don't tell her to make sure she lines all of them up at the end of the day and she makes sure the ones who just worked an hour are there to get their full day's pay so that all the others can see. And then she works her way down to the ones who worked in the heat of the East Texas sun and she pays them the same as she paid the first ones if you had that kind of action going on in my onion patch, you'd spoil the onion crop with envy and with anger and with jealousy and with calls for justice because this just ain't right. But Jesus had a point to make. And it wasn't about grapes and it wasn't about onions. He had a point to make that he wants all of us to hear. I want us to be reminded of something today. And what I want us to be reminded of today is that envy runs in the human family and the Christian family is not immune to it either. And envy is a sin that's a little different than other sins. I mean, you can, you can lust and you'll be okay for a while, but that... Kind of needs to be handled, right? You, you can have greed and maybe you live into that greed. and You may have money for a season or whatever. But envy can impact the heart in such a way that it'll make you sick spiritually. We even talk about people being green with envy. It, it's a sickness of the soul. Because the focus is on another and not on yourself and not, especially not on God. But it's, it's on others. You're comparing yourself to others. Which is always a, a losing comparison. Or at least it is for me. And then we go back to the early story in our Bible. You've got Adam and Eve. They have two sons, Cain and Abel, right? And, and Abel is a shepherd. And I don't know if you knew this about Cain, but Cain was an onion farmer. Yeah. And so when God was going to receive the gifts from these two, it was Abel who brought the grand champion sheep to give to God. And Cain brought some number two onions that were hotter than they should have been. And, and God smiled on the offering of Abel and frowned on the offering of Cain. And Cain can't handle it. And so he invites his brother into the desert and the first murder occurs 
when Cain kills his brother Abel because of envy. And if I were to ask you what was the greatest parable that Jesus told, you probably would not say the laborers in the vineyard. And more than half of you would say the parable of the prodigal son. Right? And we know that parable. Even secular people know pieces of the parable of the prodigal son. We know that it's a father. And by the way, happy Father's Day. And this father has two sons, right? The younger son wants his inheritance. He wants off the farm. He said, Dad, I'm through with the farm. Give me my money and I'm gone. And he goes into a foreign land. He squanders his wealth on loose living. And he finds himself eating among the hogs. Not a great place for a Jewish boy to be. And so he knows that he had it better on the farm. He had it better at home. So he decides that he'll go home and he'll be a servant. And when his father sees him from afar, his father runs out to meet him because he's so pleased that his son has come home. He puts his robe on his shoulder and his ring on his finger and he has the fatted calf killed so that they can throw a party for this son of mine who was lost is now found. If that were the end of the story, wouldn't that be a great story? But it's not the end of the story. There's the other brother, the older brother, who never left the farm, who plowed the onions day in and day out. He he was the one who did everything the father wanted him to do. He was the one who never disobeyed the rules. He was the one who was the good boy of the family. He was the one that he knew his father must be proud of. and, And yet he is steaming with envy. His father goes out to meet him and he gets an earful from this older brother who said, I've been here on the farm. I've done all I needed to do. I've never left you. And here, this son who's wayward, he comes back home and you haven't ever killed a goat for me, much less the fatted calf. This son of yours, not my brother, but this son of yours. Envy. And so we're aware that envy runs deep in the human heart. And and we're aware that if God's going to fix us up, God has to replace envy with something greater, more life-giving and sustaining. And, And it's gratitude. You see, what this story about the vineyard is about, it's about the way that God does business, and it's not the way we do business. For we understand quid pro quo. We understand this for that. We understand you get out of it what you put into it, right? We understand the fairness of a day's work for a day's pay. We don't understand this crazy business that's going on in the vineyard. But it is God's grace business. You know, some of us gather here because there's a lot of place you can be on Sunday morning at 11, 12 o'clock. We're here because we're we're Christians. Some of us have been Christians a long time. Some of us have been Christians when it's been hard to be a Christian. And some of us are are here and and, and we find ourselves not unlike uh, those that Jesus was originally talking to, those disciples who are probably starting to think, well, you know, we've been Jews for generations, for for centuries. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit 
fills these Gentiles, these uncircumcised Gentiles, these who don't know about the Ten Commandments, the Holy Spirit fills them and they receive grace. And, and Paul goes in, into the Gentile land and he's bringing the gospel of grace. And here are these Gentiles who don't know the first thing about the Ten Commandments. Don't appreciate the dietary laws and the Holy Spirit fills them with grace. And it's easy to see why there would be those who would say, it's not fair. Philip Yancey said, grace is scandalous. Hard to accept, hard to believe, hard to receive. Grace shocks us by what it offers. It frightens us by what it does for sinners. And at the end of the day, when we really get grace, when we get grace, when we understand grace, it doesn't leave us green with envy. It leaves us full of joy and love and peace and a focus on our gratitude to a God who loved even us, even me. And so thankful for that that you want that same grace for others who you may have at one time didn't believe they deserved it. I read a story this past week about a, a church in England. It, it was a prosperous downtown London church. And, um, and, and they had affluent people in this church. But they had started three mission churches in the slums in London. And the pastor's telling the story, and he tells the story about how once a year on New Year's Eve, we all gather at the mother church, all of those who come in from the, uh, from the churches and the slums, the mission churches, and we gather and we, we, we have a worship service, and it ends with Holy Communion where we're all kneeling at the altar rails. The pastor's talking about how beautiful it is to see uh, the people kneeling there. Some are doctors, some are lawyers, some are are businesswomen and businessmen and they're kneeling right beside former burglars and thieves and drug addicts and prostitutes and they're all there together brought there by grace all a part of the same church in different pockets he said he noticed that there was a judge who knelt at the altar and then a former burglar came and knelt right beside him. And he said the irony of the whole situation was that here were two, now part of the same church, and, and, and that burglar had been sentenced to prison by the judge and had served seven years in prison due to the judge's decree. The pastor said he didn't think they even noticed that they were kneeling beside each other. And after church, the pastor and the judge were walking home. And the judge says, isn't grace a miracle? Isn't grace amazing? And the pastor realized that he must have recognized that he was kneeling beside that former burglar. 
And, and, and so he said, yes, it is. And then the judge said, what do you think I'm talking about? And he said, well, you're probably talking about that former uh, burglar who's knelt beside you and, and how uh, wonderful it is that God's grace saved him. He said, that's not what I'm talking about. He said, I'm talking about me. He said that, that burglar, he, he knew he had done wrong. He was sentenced to prison. And while he was in prison, he, he came in touch with God's grace in such a way that it changed his life. He knew what he had done wrong. He knew that he needed help. And when he reached out to God, God was already there waiting for him to give him that grace that he needed. And when he got out of prison, he couldn't wait to get involved in one of our missions so that he could serve God and say thank you to God with his life and his living. But you look at me, he said. I'm a judge. I've known all of my life that, that I'm to be a gentleman. I've known all of my life that, that, that I'm supposed to act a certain way driven by Christian values. He said, I've known all of my life what it means to be good and to live into what it means to be good. I've known to be involved in church. I've known to, to take Holy Communion regularly. He said, I know exactly what God has called me to do and to be about, and I have done it. I went to Oxford, and I received a law degree, and I became a lawyer, and then I became a judge. It's amazing that God would give His grace to me who didn't think I needed it. who never would have thought that I was on an equal basis with that burglar. He said, it's God's grace that had to come into my life and had to convict me of, of my own self-deception, my own jealousy, my own envy. Had to open my eyes that I'm no better than any sinner, including that burglar that I knelt beside at Holy Communion tonight. That's the miracle, that God would reach out and save one such as I. Wow. Wow. There, there's one thing that when gratitude focuses us so much on God to whom all from whom all blessings flow, that we see, that is at the foot of the cross the ground is level. We're all equal. We're all sinners in need of grace. And when we know a God who cares for us enough to bless us with that grace, then ours is not a life of envy for those who've received it who may not have deserved it. Ours is a life of gratitude so that we understand that God has loved me enough that if I'd have been the only one, God would have crawled upon a cross for me. And when we get that, we want that grace for everyone. It's not about me. It's not about them. It's about God who delivers that grace to all. Friends, thank you, Jesus, is the language of a grateful heart. When we understand what God has done for us and our only response really is that gratitude. We truly set ourselves up for a life of love 
and joy and peace. And the Holy Spirit, the great fixer-upper, desires to bring that about in your heart and in mine. Lord God, I pray your blessings on this congregation today. I don't know what our circumstances are. Some may be in this room and it's Father's Day and they're so full of thanksgiving for what you've done in their family. Everything is so good. And there may be some in circumstances that this is a painful day because of where the family is. Or we may have the burden in our circumstance of of illness of ourselves or, or someone whom we love. Lord, help us to remember what Paul said to the Thessalonians. In all circumstances, we give thanks. Not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances, we give you thanks. Because we know that your grace is sufficient to supply all of our needs. Your grace will bring us into that place of love, joy, and peace, into that place of healing, into that place of well-being, into that place of happiness. Because you, O Lord, through your grace can redeem the worst of circumstances. Lord, we're so grateful for what you've done for us. Amen.